0: So, but to understand this passage that we're going to read tonight, we have to understand what it means to be in him or in Christ. Because in this passage, in verses 7 through 14, it says in him five different times. So we have to understand what does it mean to be in him? Because we even see that in the verse um, that this whole series is based on in verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So what does it mean to be in him? To be in him... Or in Christ, that is the best way that Paul knew how to describe the life of faith under Christ's Lordship in a world where other powers and temptations are present. You guys remember that? That's the very scholarly definition of it. To be in Him, it's to live in, or it's the best way to describe the life in faith under Christ's Lordship in a world where other powers and temptations are present. A different definition is to act in Christ, is to act in faith and obedience in the face of false alternatives. Or more simply, this is my definition, to be in Christ, it's to believe in and to trust in Jesus and his way of life over the way of the world. It's to believe that Jesus is real, that he died and he rose again. And it's to believe that the way that he says to live is actually the best way to live versus what the world says to live. That's what it means to be in Christ. It's to actually be like Jesus in a world that isn't like Jesus. So whenever it's referring to in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, it's referring to those of you who are actually believing in, and trusting in, and living like Jesus. And the world, as you guys know, it is very unlike Christ. The world says a lot of things that are opposed to what Jesus says. And that's why it's important to know, if are you in Jesus or you're not? Because the world, they'll tell you lies. And, and what I mean by the world, it's everything. It's the culture and society that is not following the way of Christ. as those who are doing it the, the, on their own. Anything that is not in Christ is of the world by definition. So the world, they'll tell you. You might hear, like, you don't need a Savior. You're good enough the way you are. Or you just need to strive for your higher power or your, then reach your potential. Or they might say something like, "You, everything you need is in you. You just have to find it. One of my favorites is like, you do you. Like you hear the world, like everyone always says, like you do you. Just do whatever makes you happy. As long as it makes you happy, that's all that matters. And all of these sayings are opposed to believing in and trusting in Jesus and his gospel. All these things are opposed to that. And here's why. Here's what the Bible says opposed to that. So starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 through 8, it says, In him, there's the first one, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. So from this passage, it is clear that we have all made mistakes and we have all messed up and all of those mistakes require death. Let me say that again. It's from this passage, we see that all of us have sinned. We have all have fallen short. We've all messed up. And those mess ups, those mistakes require death. That is a message that the world is not going to tell you. The world's not going to tell you that you're so messed up that you just, it deserves death. And so those mistakes in this passage, it's called trespasses. Um, that is the ignorance of which you have not known. To trespass means that you do something that you know you shouldn't have done. Think about what that word trespass actually means. Like, because in here, the forgiveness of our trespasses. It's a weird biblical term. But think about what it actually means in, in our everyday life. Like if you get caught trespassing, you got caught being somewhere that you knew you shouldn't have been. It's the same thing. He's forgiven us of our trespasses. He's forgiven us of our mistakes. Another word that the Bible uses instead of that a lot is the word sin. And trespasses and sins are so counter, they're so opposed, they're so opposite of God that they cannot be where God is. It's as simple as that. Wherever there's sins, wherever there's trespasses, those things are so big that they keep you from being where God is. God is too holy, he's too pure to allow those sins and trespasses into his presence. So you might be thinking, like, if God loves us so much, If he chose us before the foundation of the world, then why would he keep something in between us that can't let us get to there? Why can't he just sweep it under the rug and let us get through? Why does it have to require death? Because God is also too just. It goes against his character. If God just swept sins under the rug without paying any kind of consequence, then that would go against who he is and God cannot change because God is also just. Sin is a big deal. Those trespasses, that's a big deal. But how do we actually pay those consequences? Can we just try harder? Can we just be good enough? Can we just ever truly harness our inner power enough and reach our potential on our own that we are eventually just above those mistakes and those sins? Can we ever be good enough or strong enough? The answer in the Bible is no. Like you'll never be good enough to get by from those sins and those mistakes on your own, and the world will tell you like always lead to Jesus, always lead to God. You just have to be good enough. But the Bible it says it's a resounding no. There's no way to do it. You can't be good enough. You can't become a, like you can't become healthy enough. There's nothing you can do by yourself. The only way to pay for sin is death. And that's how big of a deal it is to God. But it says, in Him, we have redemption through His blood. We have forgiveness. Redemption, that's a weird word that we don't use all the time. Like you don't just walk by someone in the hallway, hey, nice redemption. Like that's not something that we use. Also, that's the wrong way to use it if you would say it that way. But it's not something that comes up in your everyday language. So redemption, it's actually a, a word that has to do with slavery and freedom from slavery. And here, that slavery and that freedom from is paid for by Jesus' death. Redemption means that the price has been paid to end that slavery. And that price has been paid by Jesus' blood. So because of our redemption, by Jesus' blood, we get forgiveness. So see the logical flow of that. We get redemption from Jesus' blood, which means we then get forgiveness. Forgiveness means to be freed from the thing that we are enslaved to. In the Greek, the, the word for forgiveness And I've been talking about forgiveness for years, but I just learned a whole new meaning of it this week. It means to send away. That means that whenever God forgives you of your sins, he sends those away. It means they're gone, that they're no more. But that word forgiveness, it also means that you are not a slave to that sin or that thought pattern anymore. Or it means that you don't have to be a slave to that sin or thought pattern anymore. Anymore, And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks of choosing to, to believe in God or not or choosing to live in sin or not. But whenever Jesus forgave you, he freed you from what he forgave you from. When Jesus forgave you for that porn addiction, he freed you from that. You're not a slave to that anymore. When Jesus forgave you from your anger and from your outburst, he freed you from that. That means you're not a slave to do that anymore. When Jesus forgave you of that gossip, that means you are not enslaved to that anymore. You are freed. So forgiveness, it means that, yes, God, he forgave you. He doesn't remember it anymore. But whenever, more importantly, when God forgives you, he frees you from that. He unlocks that chain, and that means that you are no longer a slave to that. In this verse, it says, on all that is richly provided by his grace in which he poured out on us. And there's a difference between grace and mercy. Mercy is the fact that we don't get what we deserve. Like, whenever we do something wrong... We deserve punishment for it. And whenever we don't get that punishment, that's been shown mercy. But grace is completely different. Grace is you do something wrong, you don't get the punishment for it, but instead you get something else you completely don't deserve at all. That's what grace is. And in Christ, in him, we get both. We don't have to deal with that consequence. We don't get punished for our sins. Jesus did that for us. And instead we get that grace, which means we get what Jesus had. And notice the past tense in that. That means his grace, it has been poured out on you. Whenever you accepted Jesus, it has already been poured out on you. You don't have to wait until a future date and wonder, are you going to get this forgiveness? Are you going to get this grace? It's already been poured out. The scripture continues. Sorry, that's just the first two verses. This is exciting stuff. Ephesians 9 through 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things in the earth. The mystery of his will was the plan from the very beginning to save humanity from Christ. He planned this from long ago. And again, this means that Jesus or God, he didn't just think of it all of a sudden. It means that he, he planned it. This was the, always the plan. His plan was to always use Jesus to bring us back to him. But it also means that he wasn't reluctant. This means that he wasn't up there like, oh man, I have to save them now. They messed up and now I gotta go and I gotta save them. Jesus, it says this was his good pleasure. And this also tells us, and this plan was for once in all time to bring all of humanity and all of creation and everything under Jesus' rule. But this also tells us that whenever God plans something, it will happen. It doesn't matter if god like if god says he's going to do something if something is in the plan of god he will make sure that plan happens it doesn't matter if he has to move armies of nations or he has to move mountains if god planned it it's going to happen that also means that if he promises something that it will come true if god promised that something is going to happen he will always fulfill his promise bible continues in verse 1 or yeah chapter 1 verse 11 and 12 This is one of my favorites. In him we have, that's not a joke. That's not a joke. This is good. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In this verse, there is purpose. You might be thinking, why do I exist? Or maybe you never have, and maybe I just propose a question that's going to keep you up for the rest of the night. Why do I exist? Why am I here? Why did God create us? Why did he make this earth? Why did he put us on it? But more importantly, what is my purpose in this world? How do I fit in with the 7.5 billion other people? Why am I here? And this verse is purpose. God had a purpose in saving us. God had a purpose. And that was so that we can receive an inheritance that Jesus deserves. Think about what an inheritance is. Inheritance is what you get whenever your parents or your grandparents die. Like, just to put it plainly, that's what an inheritance is. Like, if you have a really rich family, really rich grandparents and parents, whenever they die, you get what they had. Like, you get all that money and all their houses and cars. Like, that is your inheritance. But if you have a hoarding family, that means whenever they die, like you get all their trash and all their belongings. That's your inheritance, right? Your inheritance is what you inherit whenever someone goes on. Whenever we are saved, we're not just saved from hell. We're not just saved from death. We're not just saved to get to heaven. But whenever we are saved, something changes and something happens. And it's whenever we're saved, we're born again into God's royal family. We are adopted in the children of God, and that means that all the benefits that we get are, are the spiritual inheritance. We to, we to receive all that Jesus receives because we are now God's children. That's your inheritance. That's your spiritual inheritance. When you're saved, you get everything that Jesus gets because you have been adopted into the family of God. We get what only Jesus deserves, which is eternal life, because Jesus was the only sinless one. We get all of that, we get everything that Jesus deserves, all that glory, all the honor, because He paid the penalty that we deserved. That's the gospel in a nutshell. We get what Jesus deserved because he paid the penalty that we deserved. And that defines what our purpose in life is. It's to praise His glory. The purpose of our life, this is the answer to the question I asked you guys. The purpose of our life is to bring praise and worship to God. Why are you here? Why am I here? Why do we exist? Why did God create humanity? It is to bring praise and worship to God. That is the most simplified definition of why we all exist. The reason we exist is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Like if you look up in like the theology, like if you read the Bible from start to finish and you, realize, and you ask the question, why are humans here? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's it. That's the chief reason that you are alive on earth today. It is to glorify God. That sounds boring. Like honestly, when you think about that, like Pastor Matt, I exist? to glorify God. That, honestly, that sounds boring. Like, I just don't want to worship God all the time. Like, that sounds so boring. But honestly, it is anything but boring. It is really exciting, and it's actually fulfilling. Because whenever you live to glorify God in everything you do, it makes the mundane, and it takes the boring parts of life, and it actually gives you fulfillment and purpose and meaning behind those things. Let me explain. Taking out the trash sucks. There's no way around it, like sometimes it stinks, sometimes it breaks, like on Sunday night, I picked up a trash bag and it just broke all over the place, I'm like, okay, it happens. Taking out the trash, it stinks. But whenever you do it for the glory of God, it makes it fulfilling. Whenever you do something that's boring, whenever you do something that you don't know why you're doing it, but you say, God, I'm doing this for your glory. I'm gonna do this to the best of my ability. I'm gonna do this to, because I wanna serve you, because I love you. Anything that you do for the glory of God, it automatically makes it fulfilling. Whenever I was in college, I worked at a church and that was my job. It was to take out the trash. It was to, to mop the floors, just to clean the windows, just to set up chairs and all that stuff. It's pretty boring stuff. And you might be wondering, why do I need to do this? So the church can be clean. Okay, sure. Why do I need to set up these chairs so that people can sit? Why do I need to do this? And there's always a little bitty reasons behind that. But none of those are very fulfilling in and of themselves. But when you ask, whenever you do it for the glory of God, it makes something that's boring. It takes something that's simple and it makes it fulfilling. It makes it purposeful. It's like I can vacuum this with joy today, because, not because vacuuming is fun, but because I'm doing it for the glory of God. This is why God created me whenever you do things for your own glory, you will feel more empty inside. But whenever you do things for God's glory, you will feel fulfilled. I'm going to say that again. When you do things for your own glory, in your glory, that's for your own pleasure, when you do things for your own prestige, when you do things for people to notice you, when you do things to make yourself happy, when you do things for your own glory, it will only leave you more empty inside. But when you do things for God's glory, big or small, you will feel more fulfilled. And that again is the opposite of what the world will tell you. During this research, I had a fun time, I did a quick Google search. How do I find purpose? And I found a fun website on how to find purpose, and it gave me 11 steps, and I'm just going to give you three of them. The first step to finding your purpose in life, remember, according to the world, according to those who don't know Jesus, is to search inward and to answer the question, what makes me happy? What makes me happy? That's how you find your purpose. And it actually said, to ask the question, what is my purpose and what makes me happy is actually the same question. The second thing, it says, to put your purpose above everything else. That means don't let anything get in the way of what makes you happy. And the third thing was to take ownership of your own life. Take ownership of your purpose. Take ownership of your happiness. This is all things that the world says. And honestly, that sounds good, right? Like that sounds right. That sounds like advice that somebody who knows what they're talking about would give you. That sounds like something that you might even tell your friend, like, what makes you happy? Just choose that one. But I'm gonna go as far to say as those things are actually evil. Those things are actually evil because it comes from a dark place that comes from inside of us, that comes from the flesh part, that comes from the heart that is deceitful. And honestly, we fall into that trap more often than not. What makes me happy? I need to do that more than doing anything else. Who cares what's going on in my friend's life, my parent's life, my sibling's life? i got to do what makes me happy. i got to do me. The world will tell you to find purpose by following your heart and doing what makes you happy. But the problem with that is that your heart is evil above all things. That's what the Bible says in, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. It says, the heart is deceitful more deceitful than anything else. It is incurable. Who can understand it? Your heart is finicky. Your heart changes on a dime. Your heart doesn't actually know what it wants and often tells you things that are harmful. If you just follow your heart, if you just follow your desires, you more often than that, you will find yourself self-destructing. You will be living a self-centered and self-destructive life. And then the last thing it says, like, just take ownership of your life. Trying to take ownership of your life, thinking you'll find happiness and purpose, will actually only leave you with more anxiety. Because the more that we think that we are in control, The more that we think that we have to have it all together, that we have to have it all figured out, that if anything happens, it's because I didn't do it. And you try to make sure everything happens the right way. The more you think that you are in control, the more you think that you can control everything around you, the more anxiety you're going to feel, and the more destruction you're going to bring on your own life. Too much, because thinking about that, trying to make sure that you are in control instead of relying on God, That is too much weight for you to bear. Trying to make sure everyone around you is super happy. Trying to make sure that you are happy. Trying to make sure everything is falling in place. It's too much weight for you to bear. And the longer that you try, the weaker you will be until you finally self-destruct. And the funny thing is, is that the Greek word for glory, remember the purpose is to glorify God. The Greek word for glory, it actually is the same word for weight. Like weight, like something heavy, like the weight's at the gym. That's the same word for glory in the Greek. To give glory to God is to give him weight. It's to give him control. It's to give him ownership. It's to say, God, you are in charge and I'm not. Saying, "God, God, I trust you. God, I know that I can't control every little thing, but God, I trust that you can. God, I know that you're in control. That's what it means to give glory to God. It's to give him the way. That is our purpose, to give glory to God, to acknowledge that he is in control, and then to enjoy him forever. That last part, it can go off the rails a little bit, but that's that's it, to enjoy what God has given you. That means simple things, like that cup of coffee you get in the morning, You can glorify God by doing simple things like drinking coffee, by acknowledging that, God, you gave this to me, and I'm just going to enjoy this because I know that this is a good gift that you've given me. Anything that's not sin that God has given you to enjoy, enjoy it. Food, sleep, friendships, enjoy those things, and you can glorify God in those. Following God isn't boring. God has given us good gifts for us to enjoy in their proper perspective. Finally, Paul, he ends with this in verse 13 and 14. In him, that's the fourth one, you, all, you, were, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. In Christ, in him, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That means that your inheritance is secure. That means that your salvation is secure. That means that you don't have to worry about every time you mess up, every little mistake, you don't have to worry, am I in or am I out? Is God going to forgive me or is he going to not? Like, I used to think Like if I sinned right before I died, that means I was automatically going to go to hell. Like Everything I did in life, it wasn't going to mean anything to God just because I thought a bad thought or I did a bad thing right before I died. But he says, you are in him. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. That means your salvation in God, it's secure. I mean, sure, like you, you're you adopted into the family. God's not going to kick you out of his family. And sure, you can walk away from that family. You can leave God if you want to. You can deny that he exists. You can deny that he saved you. Or you can just slowly drift away. And you can leave the family that way. But as long as you live a life to glorify God and your desire is to know him, your desire is to get closer to him, and you want to know him, you want to make him known, then your salvation is secured. You don't have to worry. And that frees you up to truly live a free and satisfying life. The band will go ahead and come back. Life in him. Remember, life in Jesus, life believing and living and trusting in Jesus that is counter to the world around you, that is the best way to live. It might not always feel the best way. Living the life of Jesus counter to what, like, think about the people who are sitting across from you at the lunch table. It might not always feel like it's the best. Like, if you, like, say, like, I'm going to live different from them. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to go to the party. I'm not going to do what they do. It doesn't feel that comfortable in the moment, but I promise you, living the life in Jesus, believing and trusting him, that is the best life that you can live. That is where you will find what you need because the world cannot offer you freedom from sin. The world cannot offer you true purpose and meaning. The world cannot fulfill or satisfy. That is only found in Christ living in him. So you might be asking, what do we do with this? What's the next step? What do we do? The first is, as you can already see on the screen, the first and most important is to believe in Jesus. And now that's not just the simple of like, I believe Jesus existed. I believe Jesus was real. And it's not even that first moment of, okay, I believe and trust in Jesus. No, to believe in Jesus is to believe in and to trust that what he did for you by dying on the cross means that you can be freed. It's to believe that by his death, you can find forgiveness and freedom from sin. So when I say the first thing that we need to do is to believe in Jesus, that's not just that one time, believe in Jesus so you can be saved, believe. It's an everyday choose to believe in Jesus and his saving work for you. It's to believe in him over the lies of the world. It's to wake up every day and say, I choose to believe. Whenever something happens, you've been saved for months, you've been saved for years, but then a doubt comes up and you say, no, I choose to believe and trust in Jesus. Something comes up, I have anxiety, I have worry. No, I trust in Jesus. I believe in him. I believe that what he says is true. I believe the life he's calling me to live is good. Believe in Jesus. The second is to live in your inheritance. That means finding satisfaction in your new life of freedom. That is by doing everything for God's glory. Wake up in the morning for God's glory. Take care of yourself for God's glory. Serve everybody you can for God's glory. Obey those in authority, your leaders, your teachers, your parents, for God's glory, and then enjoy all the good things that God gives you, which are that's really good food. I know this is getting really practical. Really good drinks, really close friendships. Enjoy those things for God's glory, and that is how you live in that inheritance, by finding freedom and satisfaction in what God has given you. And finally, trust in Jesus' completed work for you. Jesus died 2,000 years ago so that you can be freed So be free from that anxiety of wondering if you're really saved or not or if you're going to heaven or not. By believing and trusting in Jesus and confessing him, you are sealed. And that is a done deal until you choose to drift or walk away. So believe that. Believe that whenever he died, he saved you. And let that take a weight off of you. Trust in Jesus' completed work that whenever he says, I forgive you, That you've been forgiven. That you don't have to go back to that old life. Trust that whenever he says that you are free from that sin, that you're free from that. That you don't have to go back to that. No matter what the devil tells you, the devil is going to tell you, you're not really free. Then why are you feeling this way? You're not truly free. Then why would you want to do that again? Trust that when Jesus says you are free, that you are free. And it's not just by your own willpower. It's not just by you saying, I'm free, I'm not, I'm gonna do it on myself. No, there's a, a deeper power that comes in when you truly believe that Jesus set you free. So trust in that. And that has happened because Jesus forgave you, because he died for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, but you want to. I want to give you that opportunity. This message, it was really for those who in this room who are Christian, those who have already said yes to Jesus and wondering how do I live in a world that's full of lies, that's full of deception, that's full of false alternatives. How do I live in that life? That's what this message is for. But maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to. You want to make, you want to make him your Lord and Savior. You want to find that forgiveness. You want to find that freedom. You want to find that true meaning and purpose in your life.